Welcome to this conversation. I'm your host, Teresa Keller, and my guest today is Kurt Phillips. And Kurt is no stranger to this show, but the last time I talked to him was a couple of years ago, and it was in the middle of the COVID crisis because Kurt Phillips is a nurse. He's going to bring us up to date on what's going on at the hospital and his experience and new things in the world of nursing and healthcare. So welcome once again to this conversation, Kurt Phillips. Always good to talk to you, Teresa. Well, same here, Kurt. Uh, People who have been listening to this station for a while may remember your radio show you did for a number of years, but then you had to bail out for other responsibilities. Well, the COVID crisis really put a premium on a nurse's time, so uh, I had to uh, give up my radio shows for a while. Might come back someday. We're stabilizing a bit in the medical world, so we'll just see what happens. Well, good. Well, first of all, let's just set the stage on who you are, where you work, what you do, what got you into the field of nursing, and kind of what goes on in your world on a daily basis. Well, what got me into nursing, I used to work in an entirely different field for uh, the Raytheon Company, which used to be in Bristol, uh, Tennessee. They closed down in 1998, and I needed to find another uh, job. I uh, considered going elsewhere in the country, but I really wanted to stay around uh, Southwest Virginia. So uh, looking around, healthcare seemed to be the most stable job family for me. And I went to nursing school at Virginia Highlands Community College, got a degree and uh, got a job right away at the uh, Bristol Regional Medical Center as a surgery nurse. 23 years now. 23 years. So we couldn't have done better in talking to somebody who's experienced in the world of nursing. Well, when we talked before, it was COVID. How difficult was it during those days? It's hard to assess that, really. Uh, It was a different experience for every healthcare person involved. Uh, It wasn't easy for anybody, and it still isn't. COVID is still very much with us. Uh, We don't have the kind of uh, numbers of patients that we had during the height of the pandemic, but uh, we still have patients in the hospital now who have COVID, but we have better tools now to deal with it, vaccinations and other medicines that uh, help us keep all that under control a whole lot better than we did two or three years ago. Well, now, two or three years ago, there was a high death rate. Now, when did this a recent surge start, and how serious has it been for the people who are in the hospital? I believe the current surge started maybe two, three months ago, and it's been a small surge, uh, small enough that most people haven't even noticed it unless they work in the hospital. Uh, but we have a, an uptick of cases. Uh, I will, I don't know what the numbers are at the moment in our hospital or across the region, but they're higher than uh, than we would expect them to be. So it's very important that people continue take reasonable precautions. Uh, I encourage people to get vaccinated. I know many people think that's uh, unnecessary or something they don't want to do, but I've seen it pay off. I've seen it uh, save lives. I've seen it it reduce the uh, severity of cases for an awful lot of patients. So I recommend vaccinations very highly. Masking is still a good idea in in crowded situations uh, when you're going to be around people. If you happen to be immunocompromised, uh, you should definitely wear a mask just about any time you're around another human being because it's just a cheap and simple way of protecting yourself from uh, something that could be a whole lot worse. And so you're believing that part of the reason that the cases are not as serious now is because a lot of people have been vaccinated. I believe so, yes. 
And a vaccination doesn't guarantee that you won't get COVID. It doesn't, but statistically, we see uh, much less severe cases of of COVID when we do see infections. I think uh, the scientific uh, data will bear that out very, very easily. From what I recall, the descriptions of the hospital working with COVID patients from a couple of years ago was exhausting, that you couldn't keep up with the work that people were dying in the hospital, that nurses were taking computer tablets in so that patients could talk to their families as they were dying because families couldn't visit. Is that a retrospective exaggeration? It's no exaggeration at all. Uh, All those things happen and quite a bit more. That we have come so far now that it's uh, starting to become difficult to remember those times is, I think, uh, a good indication that we have gotten a better better control of the pandemic and are, are doing better generally. But yes, those things all happened. I saw them myself. I helped put bodies in body bags and uh, I saw many, many patients in severe distress because of COVID. This was, of course, before we had uh, access to vaccinations and before we really understood exactly how the best to proceed in taking care of these patients. We have a much, much better way of uh, understanding of how to uh, optimize a patient's uh, journey through the healthcare system now. Kurt, that was traumatic. What did it do to you to go through that? Putting that's not something that would be routine. Putting no, people in body not. bags routinely, uh, helping them talk to their family members in the process of dying. How did you come out of that? Well, I had a big advantage over uh, a lot of nurses. I used to be an EMT uh, for eight years before I became a nurse, so I saw. A, Quite a bit uh, of the, uh, I, I saw some terrible things uh, as I was taking care of patients out in the field. I guess you could say I, I sort of got used to it, but you never really get used to that sort of thing. So now when you have a COVID patient, is it still kind of fearful concern about contamination? And, you know, you had these big body suits that everybody covered up completely. And Well, I don't know about uh, how they deal with COVID patients on the floor. I just deal with surgery. Um, I know that overall, I can tell you that uh, the stress level is much lower for staff and for patients uh, because we have a better confidence now that we know how to, uh, to how to deal with this sort of thing. You said you're in the emergency room. You're in surgery or in surgery. Does it ever cross paths with COVID? You have a COVID patient oh. who has to have surgery? Well, in surgery, of course, we take uh, full you know, personal protective equipment anyway, gowns, masks, uh, hats, boots, and that sort of thing. So we're already at an enhanced level of protection for the staff. The patient's uh, respiratory system is usually, you know, self-contained by uh, endotracheal tubes and that sort of thing. We're already ahead of the game there in, in surgery just because of the nature of how surgery is done. Well, that's comforting. And it just sounds to me like we're talking about two different worlds of what it was like before and what it's like now. I'd say so, yes. Uh, And to me, the biggest difference is uh, largely that we have uh, less fear and more confidence now, both on the part of the staff and the part of the patient population. We're we're kind of used to COVID now. I think people are generally starting to feel like, well, this is just something that's going to be with us for the foreseeable future, and we can uh, can deal with it. Again, I I keep coming back to vaccinations, but I, I strongly believe that a vaccinated population is the best protection we have against uh, COVID starting to uh, uh, hurt and kill a lot of people 
again. I think we're just in such a better place now because we've had some experience with it and we've developed some tools and procedures to uh, to get ahead of the, the pandemic. And for people who have confidence in scientists and in research, then we would believe that the statistics prove what you just said, that there are people who are vaccinated may sometimes get COVID, but they typically or don't it, get it as bad. It is not as severe in those cases. Uh, I've seen that myself. A lot of people don't want to be vaccinated. They have um, concerns uh, about the effects of the vaccination itself, I suppose. I know healthcare people, uh, healthcare providers who don't want to be vaccinated. And that's their right. They just have to uh, look at the whole thing realistically from their own viewpoint and make their best decisions. But, uh, of course, above all, we want to protect our patients. Uh, any nurse, any doctor will tell you that. That's that's why we're in the uh, the profession that we're in, uh, to get the patients the best, best possible care through uh, their hospital experience. You know, I'm pretty confident in saying that I wouldn't imagine that anybody wants to get a vaccination. <laughs> well, I wouldn't call it fun, but uh, well, it's not bad. Oh my gosh, it's not bad at all. For I've had I don't know how many now five. And Kurt, I have never to date, knock on wood, gotten COVID. And my That's husband true. had it. A lot of people I know have had it, and somehow I escaped. It was the vaccines. I hope so. You were talking about how things had changed. One of the things mm-hmm. that I remember that started with COVID was that hospitals often didn't have enough staff to handle the number of cases. And so traveling nurses became a standard that a hospital was just loaded down with traveling nurses. Then there was a question about traveling nurses getting paid more than the regular nurses, which was why they would be enticed to leave their homes and travel and go live in a new location to be a nurse. What's the situation now with traveling nurses? I think we're depending a little less on uh, traveling nurses now than we were two years ago, certainly. Uh, there's no question about the fact that the the travel nurse uh, population really stepped up and, uh, and helped get hospitals all across the country through a fairly bad patch. Um, uh, there's less need for them now, and uh, many, many of those nurses are now going back into um, accepting full-time positions at various hospitals across the country. We still have a few travel nurses at our hospital, not as many as we used to. It just, uh, every situation, you know, requires a better assessment of how best to use the staff we have. There is a nursing shortage. There's a a shortage of our surgical technicians, of of every level of, of healthcare that we have. It's been that way for many years before the pandemic. It's probably going to be that way for a few years to come. Various schools and medical colleges just can't turn out enough qualified uh, healthcare people to fill any of the job uh, families that we have. You know, Kurt, it's, I don't know that you will know a lot of detail about this, but it seemed to me that in the midst of the COVID situation that it was probably, if it had been me, it would be a turnoff to become a nurse when you saw the stress, the agony, the fear, the difficulty Mm -hmm. of dealing with patients who don't want to be treated the way the the medical staff thinks they need to be treated. So I'm wondering, do you know anything about whether that is a factor or not? That is a fascinating question. I think probably a few people did decide to leave the profession because of COVID, because of the extra stress. But I think a lot more people decided to enter the profession. Nursing school enrollment is up, way up, uh, more higher than it's been in in quite some time. 
Uh, there's something about the kind of people who are attracted to work in healthcare. Uh, I'm not sure what you have, what you'd call it. Maybe altruism. People who work in healthcare tend to want to serve. They want to be on the front line, and they want to be right there, taking care of the people who need the help the most. Uh, you see that with EMTs and and uh, all kinds of first responders, firefighters, police. There is a, a strong culture in America of people wanting to serve their fellow citizens. And uh, thank goodness there is. I think nursing has uh, benefited from that quite a bit. The people I work with, uh, there are none better. Uh, I believe that uh, most of them are there because they want to be there and no place else. Um, any of them could go and do any other kind of job in the world you could think of. They're, they're good people, intelligent, smart, motivated, that they choose to serve people. They, they choose to help take care of people. I think that's a wonderful thing. I think that's a wonderful thing. That's the last thing I would have ever been called to do. And, you know, because you're so up close with, you know, blood and people at their worst in terms of their physical situations. And so tell me, walk me through what you knew when you chose this and what were the surprises along the way? Did Were you ever dissuaded and questioned whether you'd made the right thing or do you just love diving into whatever difficult, bloody, ugly situation it was because you wanted to help? Well, I don't think about bloody and difficult situations because that's just something that um, has to be dealt with and uh, there are ways to deal with it efficiently and, and reasonably and we do we do so. As I said, I had been a uh, EMT for uh, several years with the Washington County Volunteer Fire Rescue before I became a nurse. That's probably why I got the idea of becoming a nurse. I would bring patients into the emergency room. Of course, a part of me always wanted to know, well, what happens next in their journey through the healthcare system? And so when I uh, needed a new career, I uh, naturally thought of nursing and healthcare first. Well, first of all, the most important thing to know about dealing with the, the stresses and the, the weirdness and all that is that every part of healthcare is a team effort. Uh, I never go into a uh, an operation by myself. Uh, you have the doctor, you have the anesthesia provider, the anesthesia doctor. And uh, our surgical scrub techs, and we all work together. We all watch out for each other. If someone uh, needs a little advice or guidance about a particular point of the surgery, uh, we all provide the, the best possible uh, information that we can. So it's a team effort. I mean, no one, uh, no one does a surgery on their own. Every surgery has a team behind them. On your personal journey, you said you became an EMT and it got you interested and then you went into training to be a nurse. What mm -hmm. kind of training did you have to do to be an EMT? I became an EMT uh, when I was working in a totally unrelated field, engineering at Raytheon. I became an EMT because uh, I was at a, an event one afternoon and a person had a heart attack and no one around us knew how to respond to that. No one seemed to know CPR. We uh, just got the person into a car and ran for the hospital, but uh, we didn't get there in time, and that person died. So I decided then and there I was going to at least learn CPR. And the way I could find to do that was to go to my local fire department here in Washington County. And uh, they said, well, you know, we need EMTs, uh, and we offer free training for that sort of thing. So I said, it's great. Sign me up. It was a class that lasted several weeks through the summer, and it, the training was fascinating. It was very technical, very detail-oriented, and I loved that. And uh, I started running ambulance calls and 
became a firefighter too. It all proceeded from there, step by step. We saw some all kinds of people who needed a little help, all kinds of people who needed quite a bit of help, car wrecks and just people who had fallen out of uh, uh, fallen out of bed, needed help getting up, couldn't get up by themselves. And you see all kinds of things out there. Well, I guess my question was kind of like asking the obvious thing for anybody who knows what EMT stands for. It stands for emergency medical technician. Okay, so, so you would clearly have to have medical training to be an EMT of some sort to be an EMT. There is a uh, organization here in uh, the, in Southwest Virginia that uh, supervises and provides that education. Uh, there are several different levels. That's an important thing to say, too, about being an EMT. EMT basic is you start off by learning CPR, which anybody can learn. It's it's very easy. And boy, does it uh, does it work. It can work very well when you do it properly. And from there on, you start adding more tools to your toolbox, how to deal with uh, diabetic emergencies, how to deal with bleeding. And of course, the way to deal with bleeding is direct pressure. You just put some pressure on the, the wound and hold it until the bleeding stops. How to put on uh, dressings properly, band-aids and, and ace bandages and all that sort of thing. From there on, you go up to the next level, which is shock trauma, how to uh, deal with um, people who have been in severe traumas like car wrecks. Uh, they often have multiple injuries that have to be managed consecutively. Then we have uh, cardiac technicians. That's a level above that where you learn, uh, you study ACLS, Advanced Cardiac Life Support. Uh, there you get into administering medications. You get into uh, monitoring heart rhythms on a machine and reporting it to the, um, the, the doctors at the hospital as you are bringing the patient into the ER. And then you have paramedic at the top of the EMT pyramid. Paramedics uh, are sort of like uh, combat medics in, uh, in in war. Only the uh, the war is uh, going on right here in our streets and our highways. You know, you have just given a beautiful outline. Let me just really change gears here, and I do thank you for all this explanation. I just feel like there's so much that I don't know. And if I could just add one more thing, sure. there's a constant need for EMT in our region. And anyone who is motivated to learn more about it, please contact your local fire department or rescue squad. They will be delighted to talk to you, answer any question you have. And uh, if you feel like it's something that you want to do, they'll get you into a training program and, and you may discover an entirely new world that's been waiting for you. Yes, that, I'm glad you put in that plug. And then maybe somebody like you who gets a taste of it and says, ooh, I want to do more and goes into nurses training. But I'm going to really change the topic here, Kurt. You are a nurse. You are male. White yes. men are not usually in a minority, but you mm -hmm. in your work world are in a distinct minority. What's that it's like? Kind of, it's kind of fascinating, really. Uh, I think the statistics are that 11% of the registered nurses are male which means that 89% are female. It may be one of the few major job areas where uh, women basically design all the, the work or are managing just about everything. But uh, it, it's really kind of neat. It is different to be a male nurse. Some patients only want uh, female nurses. A few patients only want male nurses to help them. And uh, we try to accommodate that sort of thing as best we can. It's great. I mean, I'm I'm really enjoying the profession. Uh, in a way, getting uh, having Raytheon closed down, and now I'm trying to help people. So uh, I'm I'm much happier with what I'm doing now. Is there any way in which you are treated differently that you don't appreciate? Generally, when somebody's in a minority, it puts them in a position 
where that people just see them differently and treat them differently than they do the majority. Well, a lot of patients will see uh, male nurses running around and assume that we're doctors, which I imagine irritates some of my female nurse colleagues. But we uh, we correct them on that uh, very quickly. Sometimes uh, the male nurses get called in to uh, help move heavy patients uh, a little more frequently than some of the other nurses, and that's fine. Men and women are different, but men and women have different strengths and weaknesses, just like everything else. So uh, it all balances up pretty well as for that team effort that I mentioned earlier. All right. Now you've got to expand on that just a little bit, that men okay. and women are different. And so what are the generalizations about how male nurses are different from female nurses? Well, you know, I don't really think about that sort of thing very much because we're all doing the same job and uh, we all, the differences are, are more related to the individual rather than whether uh, we're male or female. Uh, every person has their strengths and weaknesses, uh, every person in any job field. So um, I don't really think about the you know, being the, a male nurse so much. I think about being a nurse. All right. Well, that's wonderful. <laughs> and that is as it should be. I was going to say one of the differences might be when you said that uh, patients assume that you're a doctor. And mm -hmm. because it is so typical for the for the head person, the leader, the boss, to be a man. I'm wondering, and women are so accustomed to that sometimes. Gosh, I may get in trouble on this. But <laughs> are there women who just kind of turn to you, expecting you to know more and take a leadership role? I don't think so. <laughs> Is no, it the well, opposite? This guy, oh gosh, he's just a guy. Really? I mean, I understand what, why, you, why you would ask that sort of question, but Honestly, uh, the people I work with, uh, we just don't think about our any of our work in that way. Uh, we just are there to we're focused on the patient, not on on, on us. Uh, we're focused on getting the patient through their surgical journey uh, as efficiently and, and as successfully as possible. And whatever resource we have to bring in, whatever tool we have to find, whatever uh, person we need to accomplish the job, that's what we all want to do. All right. You heard it here, ladies and gentlemen. My questions are outdated and praise God is all I can say. <laughs> the stereotypes are gone. People are people. It's collaboration. And gosh, all is good with the world. We, we could dream. Uh, but anyway, so I wanted to ask you just in general, I, I always am interested in what the specific challenges and unusual challenges are in different professions. But I'm mm -hmm. imagining that there are things that patients do that they don't know better or shouldn't do, or it's not wise to do. What would be your advice to patients on how to be a good patient? How to be a good patient? Oh, my goodness. Um, one thing I think most healthcare personnel notice about patients is they tend to ask the same questions and, and tell the same jokes. And they tend to come in to the hospital with um, a good deal of anxiety that um, really could be dealt with better by informing themselves before they come to the hospital. Uh, your doctor in your doctor's office, the nurse in your doctor's office is ready to answer any question that uh, that you have as a patient. And they they want to get you as prepared as possible for any kind of hospital experience. So don't be afraid to uh, to ask questions, to uh, research on your own. I'm not saying not saying get on uh, the internet and you know, study everything and, and think that that's going to teach you about exactly what's going to happen to you in the hospital. But uh, a little research uh, goes a long way 
uh, towards alleviating the uh, the stress that you feel uh, going into a hospital. And going to a hospital is a stressful situation for any patient. We understand that, and uh, we do our best to uh, to get them through it. You know, we uh, one of the simplest things I've ever found is uh, for our surgical patients is we keep uh, blankets uh, in a blanket warmer, and it's nothing quite as comforting as the feeling of a great warm blanket. Uh, when you're laying there on those little hospital stretchers, which aren't very comfortable, I have to admit. Can you give me another example? That's great because probably people, there are probably people who are cold and just think, oh, well, I shouldn't ask. Oh, no. Don't never be, when you're a patient, never be afraid to uh, to ask questions to, uh, if you need a blanket, ask for a blanket. We're there to, to do anything we can to get you through the, uh, the experience uh, better. And of course, the patient is the person who, largely defines what uh, better means in those situations. Give me just another example of a question that people ask that would have been good if they would have asked before they arrived at the hospital. Hmm. Interesting question. Uh, people just usually ask the basic questions. And of course, I'm talking about surgery here. Uh, is this going to hurt? Well, yes, it's going to hurt. But we have, uh, I mean, it's surgery. They're going to do things that do cause some pain. But we have medications that can get ahead of the pain and make it tolerable for the patients in just about every situation. So um, if a patient is in pain, please don't be afraid to speak up and tell the nurse what your pain is. We uh, teach all our patients the pain scale of, of uh, 1 to 10, with 1 being pretty much no pain and 10 being really terrible pain. So don't be afraid to uh, to speak up and, and tell the uh, the nurse that's taking care of you Hey, I'm I'm hurting. I need some help here, and that's what nurses are there to do, to uh, to do the best thing they can uh, for you in that moment. That's why we have nurses. My guest today, Kurt Phillips, Exhibit A of a caring, caring nurse who really wants the best for the patients, and and paints a, a really beautiful picture of collaboration and good work to try to help patients. Any final word, uh, Kurt Phillips, for the listeners? Oh. Not really. Just uh, be well. Uh, take care of yourselves. Listen to your doctors and, uh, and and eat well. And don't wait till the last minute to go to the doctor either. I guess that's about it, really. Uh, I hope everyone uh, listening to me uh, is uh, well and healthy today and stays that way for a long, long time to come. Thank you, Kurt Phillips, for bringing us up to date on just a hodgepodge variety of questions about COVID, nursing, the world of health. Kurt Phillips, my guest. I'm very glad to talk to you, Teresa. Thank you very much for bringing me into this conversation. My pleasure, Kurt. Thank you so much. Above all, I always like to thank the listeners for tuning in. And if you missed this part of it, want to catch the whole thing, you can find our podcast very easily. Just go to whatever search engine you have or podcast search engine you have, and you just say WEHC, this conversation, and you'll find oh, a couple hundred interviews there. If you're having trouble sleeping, there they are. And the show airs Wednesday at 6 and Sunday at 2 here on WEHC 90.7 that you can hear into about five surrounding counties from Emory, Virginia, where this station is licensed. Thanks again, Kurt. Thanks again, listeners. See you Wednesday at 6 and Sunday at 2.